but I'm continuing with my series on worship. I've got this one, and then I've got one more message, and then we're going to get onto the new series called Say What, which is all about your questions. Um, just something differently, and then I've been playing with a couple of ideas, making a few changes coming into the new financial year. Um, sometimes you just got to turn it up. Um, we had a great time of worship. I don't know how you felt, but I was enjoying it, and then David came and just... Uh, you know, started all off. I I, I love that 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 uh, video, and then I hate it at the same time. Um, the first time I saw it, just, Bleh. second time I was in, Bleh. every other time I see it, Bleh. but anyway, no, it just gets me. Just a a father's love or a parent's love for their child to the point of um, putting yourself through agony for them. Anyway, but we we're going to start talking about sort of worship, and this one is talking about. The vision of worship, which is a weird concept. It's something that really sort of uh, gravitated to me when I was reading this a certain passage of Scripture, which we're going to read today. It's found in Isaiah chapter 6. But it's an interesting concept because sometimes I found that we as people struggle with this concept of worship because we can sometimes limit to what comes out of those speakers what comes out of the instruments, what comes out of our voices, and think that's what it is. But worship really is, is everything we do. Worship is more than what we do on Sunday mornings. Right? Turning up here, it's, it's more than that. It's more. Worship is what we love. We worship what we love. We give time to what we value. We worship what we live for. Worship is about who we are before God. Elizabeth Elliot said, Worship is not an experience. Worship is an act. And this takes discipline. We are to worship in spirit and in truth. Never mind about the feelings. We are to worship in spite of them. Meaning regardless of what takes place in our lives, regardless of what happened on the way to church or happened in the car park, I don't know if you've ever heard about this, we often sometimes can have these car park miracles. Right? That's when you, you have this argument in the car with your children or whoever's in the car, with maybe your spouse, and as soon as you walk through the door, there's a transformation that takes place. We call that the car park miracle. But I can appreciate that. I understand what it's like. I have two children and I have a wife. And not everything goes to plan. Like this morning, we got up. We had a, we had a late night last night. We went to um, Lighthouse Care's uh, annual fundraiser, which was a great night. We get a table. I think we've had a table almost every year. We just like to help out and you know, support them because what they're doing because they come out and support us. And uh, we got home, well, we had to go pick up our kids and bring them home. And when we got there, they were, they were out. And uh, trying to wake my kids sometimes is challenging. Um, I had to use some illegal methods. I whispering in my son's ear, it's time for soccer. Because <laughs> he would not move otherwise, but anyway. But then he's used to that uh, with his diabetes. We can literally flip him over, test him, turn over, and he doesn't have a clue whatever happens. And we got home late, just like some other people do at some different times. 
And we were tired. Mel's, being, Mel's had a busy day yesterday and I had the kids yesterday trying to entertain them. And we get up and, and get ourselves organised and my son couldn't find his pants. So I understand what it's like. <laughs> Where did you leave them? I don't know. Where did you take them off? I don't know. Or, where's your shoes? I don't know. Where's your socks? I don't know. All right, you're wearing your sister's... No, I'm kidding. Um, I understand what it's like, but, but sometimes we need to, you know, we come in and we go, you know what? Why am I here? Why am I here? Isaiah is given a, a vision in the chapter, chapter 6. And I don't know whether it's this, he goes to the throne room of God. I don't know whether it's just an impartation. I don't know whether it's in his conscious mind or subconscious mind. I don't know because it doesn't go into that. But Isaiah gets this vision of the throne room of God. And it's a phenomenal vision. It's a phenomenal concept. And as the story goes, we'll go through a little bit. But Isaiah is, we'll call it, transported to the throne room of God. And it says this, In the year the king Azur died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then he said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips and live among the people of unclean lips and because my eyes have seen the king the lord of hosts then one of the seraphim flew to me and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs he touched my mouth with it and said now that this has touched your lips your wickedness is removed and your sin is atoned for then i heard the voice of the lord saying who should I send. Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Said me. It's an interesting concept that Isaiah begins to take place because there's things that correlate to what we were talking about last week. Last week we talked about the tabernacle, the pattern that God has for us to enter into the presence of God. And now we get glimpses of things that correlate in this picture. The seraphims are actually massive angels. And they guard the throne room of God. And it says they have six wings. Two they covered their eyes. So they don't see the glory of God because it's too magnificent. With two they cover their feet, meaning a position of surrender. And with two they fly. It says that his, his robe fills the temple. It's like having on your wedding day, a massive train that everyone has to wait for you to leave. And there's a five-minute delay as your train follows you out of the way. And there's smoke that fills the temple. 
It's the same sort of smoke that filled the Holy of Holies place when they would light oh, the incense of, oh, on the altar. They would fill the place with this with his fragrance. It's our worship. But it's an interesting concept because there's so many different factors to it. Isaiah is standing in the throne room of God and the first thing that comes to his mind before, besides seeing what's taking place is, I can't be here. I'm a man of unclean lips. I have sin in my life. And you'll find that when you enter into the presence of God, to the richness of the fullness of His presence, you'll find, you'll figure out that you're not right. There's things you need to deal with. There's things I have to make sure that I'm right with because when I'm standing in the presence of God, there's this, this concept that says, oh, if you want to keep going in, you, you need to make sure things are right. Praise God for Jesus. I tell you, because at that point in time, when you begin to enter in and go, oh, hang on, now I need to do my sacrifices. All right, I need six lambs, two turtle doves, three cows, two goats, and that should cover me. But instead, because of the grace of God, he sent his son Jesus to die on us. When we enter in the presence of God, it's not about going, oh, hang on. I need something to atone for me. It's I've already been atoned for. And I now can enter into the presence of God and dwell within his throne room. There is a difference in the story before Jesus and after Jesus. We get this picture of Isaiah standing in the place where he needs to be cleansed. Now, after Jesus, we've already been cleansed. It's whether or not we've actually accepted it. Now, there are four points that I found in this. And the first one is this. Worship is a wonderment. Isaiah gets this, this concept. He, he begins to realize who he's standing before. The magnificence of God. The splendor. His majesty. He's standing before in the throne room of God, whether it be in body or out of body, and he is amazed at the whole process of what's taking place. He is awestruck by God. His pure holiness. He's so holy that the angels who have never lived on this earth, who have never technically sinned, are standing before the throne room of God covering their eyes from the glory. And all that comes out of their mouth is holy, holy, holy. They live, dwell within the throne room of God and they're screaming out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We cannot but look upon his face. When Moses was in the wilderness on Mount Sinai, getting the Ten Commandments, the Bible says that he came down and his face shone. That he put a veil up. Not a burqa, a veil. Because the others were afraid of him. This is old covenant. New covenant, we can walk in. See, we've got to enter into the presence of God with a sense of wonder. We've got to go in with it, knowing that God is awesome. We can't go in casually going, oh yeah, yeah, whatever. Who cares? 
It's got to be that sense of I am entering into the presence of God and He is phenomenal. And the only way that I can enter in is but by the grace of God. We enter in this place with a right because now we're children of God, but we enter in also with humility. There's no pride that can enter in. I mean, we're but by grace that we enter into the presence of God, but by grace. It's not by anything but by the actions of Jesus Christ. His sin, sorry, his holiness, his pureness, his sacrifice covered my inadequacies. That now when the Father looks at me, he doesn't go, Oh, Pete, you did this wrong, this wrong, this wrong, this wrong, this wrong. He says, Ah, you're worthy. And not because of my awesomeness, but because of his. Two, worship is transformative. God's presence reveals who we really are. Isaiah reveals that he is a sinner, that he has unclean lips, which means the words that he speak, he speaks are not clean. Yet in his confession of his sinfulness, Isaiah is transformed in the person who God needs him to be. Notice that he goes, I'm a man of unclean lips. The angel comes along with the coal, seals his lips. God then says, who shall we send? Isaiah says, send me. And there is a transformation that takes place from understanding that you are not right without him to a place of, now you can send me. God's presence transforms us. It brings us to a place of understanding what is not right in us so we can understand that we need more of him in that area. God's presence transforms us into the person that we are called to be. And the more time we spend in his presence, the more transformation that actually takes place. It's the wonder that opens our heart to see what needs to be transformed. Because when I present myself before God and I can see the wonder that he is, I am but moved to find my inadequacies. Three, worship is renewing. Isaiah was renewed through God's forgiveness. Isaiah calls out to God, Here I am, Lord, send me. Declaring the change that actually takes place in his own life. Worship renews us. We can have the worst week. We can just feel down. We come in and our awesome music team comes and just presents an opportunity for us to enter into the presence of God and we just walk out changed. Oh, that was great worship. I just feel renewed. His presence just went in all the different areas and just rejuvenated me. It's better than drinking Monster. I'll preach it. (laughs) But worship renews us. Number four. Worship is decentering. Worship reveals that we are not the center of our universe. Worship tells us that we are not as important as we think we are. 
We shift from ourselves to God. We spend most of the week worshipping ourselves. Come Sunday or come time when we worship, it's a shift. I cannot stay in that place where I am thinking only about myself and worship. I automatically begin to think about what God has done in my life. I begin to think on the words that are spoken. I'll make room for you. I'll surrender. I exalt thee. They're not just catchphrases. They're words that actually have meaning. And when you actually say them with meaning, with conviction, they begin to change. I begin to transform. I begin to be renewed. I become recentered, and I re-begin to refocus who really is important. See, we cannot wonder. We cannot worship without the wonderment of God. It's what transforms us. It was what renews us, and it recenters our minds. It refocuses us and calibrates us to where we should be. Maybe that's why we struggle with worship. Maybe the real reason we struggle with worship is because we can't recenter, and we're so focused on ourselves. There's times that I've been in worship service and thought, Oh, that wasn't that good. Not this one. We have a phenomenal team. They've never done that. And I remember being told, well, perhaps it's on you, Pete. And then I began to seek God. I was like, God. And he spoke to me. He said this. He says, it doesn't matter how good your music team is. It just depends on how much you want to surrender how much wonderment you come in, how much you allow the worship to actually recenter you, to transform you, how much you allow the process to happen. Because I determine, I determine, me, not, not Victoria, it's not the choice of song that makes a difference. You know that? They can sing, they can get up and sing, well, actually, they don't even need to sing, they can get up and play instruments. And just bring us into the place of worship because it's about my willingness to go. It's about my wonderment. It's about me going, you know, I'm here for God, not myself. It's about how much I open up my heart. It doesn't. It can, look, let's be honest. We all know that the triangle is a powerful instrument. But if I got the triangle out and started tanging it, maybe in beat, we could bring the presence of God that could rock this house. And it wouldn't be about how much it's in tune. It's all dependent upon us. And where our hearts is. Are our hearts in tune with his? This is why the enemy does not, does not want you to understand the power of worship. He does not want you to understand the need for worship. Because he knows the power of it. He knows that he can get us to stop worshipping, to not think it's cool enough, for men not be in touch with our emotions, to open ourselves up, which is so contradiction to manhood, or apparent manhood, that he can stop so much transformation in our lives just by simply thinking, getting us to think, it's all good, I'll just swing and pretend I'm in worship. See, the enemy is not stupid. 
Well, he's stupid, but he's stupid. He's not. He understands us better than ourselves, but he's stupid because he's on the losing team. He's stupid because he thinks he can win. Gosh, he was thinking he won when Jesus was on the cross. Little did he know that was part of the process of our redemption. So he's, he's yeah, I'm awesome. Then he sees Jesus rise from the dead and he goes, oh, trash. The enemy knows that if he can stop you, so the first thing is he tries to get you to not be a believer. The second thing is he tries to stop you being active in your belief. He convinces us, oh no, don't do that. It's okay. You can miss that. He convinces us it's okay. He allows us to find excuses. And all in the process, he's stripping of us of our ability to understand how to worship. Because what he's doing is he's shifting us to focus on ourselves rather than him. Now, I don't know how you feel about Jesus. I don't know how you feel about God. But I can give you story after story after story of where God did something. Now, I'm still waiting for my biggest miracle. This. But if you saw my biggest mirror happen, what would you do? Would you dismiss it? Oh yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Would we dismiss it? Or would we go, oh my gosh, boom. Would we fall to our knees in absolute surrender? Going, oh my gosh, God did it. What about if, if Jason turned up and said, man, I, I don't think I'm a diabetic anymore. Well, my son did the same thing. I'm not, I'm not a diabetic anymore. Perhaps you've got some health things in your lives and perhaps, you know, it could be as simple. Simple. I know, you, I know Elise has got, um, she's got a whole list of things. Anyway, um, <laughs> food, right? What about if God turned around and, and healed her of that and she goes, oh my gosh, I just drank a litre of milk and I feel great. Not that anyone drinks a liter of milk and feels great, but anyway. <laughs> Perhaps Jason does. I'm, I'm serious. Like, what, it ha- what, it, what would happen if, if people actually turned up with the expectation that God can do something and we saw God move? How would we respond? Would we dismiss it? Because the devil is really good at finding ways to dismiss it. To convince us that it didn't actually happen. Oh no, the doctors are awesome. The doctors killed me. One day I will literally want to walk in here and go and wave my right arm. But you better be prepared for it. Because if it doesn't hit you in the face, not that I'm going to try and slap you, but if it doesn't hit you with the, with the, in the face with the fact that it, it's, it's now being used, you have missed it. Like I'm not going through what I'm going through so you can just go, oh, that's nice, and dismiss it. Yeah. Not cool enough for me. Like I didn't go, okay, God. I surrendered to the process 
But God, can we at least get do something out of this? Like this is not easy. There are many times that I'm on my knees and I've got my hands raised. God, I, I just need you today. Because I cannot do this without you. I need some wisdom. I'm facing a situation I don't know how to, how to get through. What do I do, God? But the truth is about worship, there are steps to worshipping. We don't just rock up on Sunday morning and go, Revival. There's preparation. Just like an athlete prepares for a competition, we need to prepare. I mean, we can rely on others. And we do. I rely on the worship team. Yeah. Oh, they're amazing. Like you don't know how much effort they put in. They have practices on Saturday and sometimes they practice all day long because you know David's still trying to get the beat right. <laughs> no, David's awesome, right? But they're practicing and they're worshipping because they want to they want to bring their best to you. If you don't know Victoria, Victoria is very she's a bit of a perfectionist when it comes to her guitar. And she gets very frustrated when she misses a note or hits the wrong key. Not that any of us who are music, aren't musical can actually tell, but she does. Right? It's that, that concept, I want to bring my best. I want to lead our church in our best. But preparation requires us to be prepared as well, not just... Oh, uh, well, you know, the music team's awesome. They can lead us in. Can you imagine if we, all of us, the whole church, prepared before church to come into worship and the level that we got to in worship? I mean, it talks, it, it, it's about preparing our heart for worship, but getting our place in the right place. You know what? I'm good. My heart is good. I've repented. I've made right. I've been his word. I've sought God to God. What do you want to do today? If we're not experiencing life-changing worship, perhaps it's because we're not preparing for corporate worship. Don't get me wrong, I love worshipping by myself. I learned it a long time ago. I mean, I could lie flat on the floor, put on some worship music and I'd just go, boom, and be out for hours. Not asleep, just in the presence of God. But there is nothing, nothing, nothing like corporate worship. When people come together with the same mindset, going, I'm going to worship God. I'm not here because this is, this is cool. I'm not here because this is what we're supposed to do. I'm here because I want to be here. I'm here because God deserves my worship. I mean, my second point is participation. We live in a culture bathed in entertain-me entertain mentality. I want to be entertained. Entertain me. There's a famous line in the movie... Uh, 
I've got a movie now. Russell Crowe movie. He was a Roman legionnaire. Gladiator. And he comes out and he goes, Are you not entertained? Perhaps that's what Victoria should do towards the end of worship. Are you entertained yet? The problem is, it's not about us. I mean, we can pay to go to concerts, right? We pay to go to movies. We have all these subscription channels these days, Netflix, Apple, whatever else. I mean, we have entertainment at our fingertips. Literally, our fingertips. But church worship is not about entertainment. It's not about how I feel. Is what I'm giving to him good enough? Worship is about the one we worship, the one who deserves our worship. Worship is about our participation, our involvement, getting alongside our fellow believer who might have struggled that week and going, you know what? I'll worship with you, buddy. Boom. Three. It's also about expectation. Do we come with the expectation, God, change me? Do we come with the expectation to hear God, to feel God move, with prepared hearts and minds wanting, desiring, belonging, to hear God speak to us? To experience God's presence and to be changed. Is that the expectation or do we come with the expectation that the team will sing in tune? Yeah, it won't be too bad. I wonder if they're going to do my favourite song this week. Are we distracted by our own lives? No, what happened during the week? What have I got to do today? What happened on the way to church? Or my favourite, what's for lunch? Number four, imagination. Can we imagine that God can change our lives? Can we see God working in our very lives? Can we see us being shaped into the image of Christ? It's going to take faith. And faith involves imagination. I'm not talking about the imagination where you pretend to be somewhere else. I'm talking about the imagination of who God really is. The gift of imagination that God creates in us to, to dream and to wonder what can God can actually do through us. Worship should be an experience of God that transforms us, that changes us, even if it's just a little bit. And when we come to worship as the body of Christ, not as a single person, as the body of Christ, and we participate, it is one of the most miraculous events ever to occur here on earth. And we get to experience the presence of God living among us, dwelling among us together. And where can you worship? Everywhere and anywhere, there are no limits. You can worship on your floor, you can worship in your car. I don't know how many times 
I've been listening to music and you crank up the song and I'm sitting there trying to sing this song, driving down the road. I'm bawling my eyes out. I'm worried that I'm going to be slain in the spirit as I'm driving. And God's just doing something in me. No hold barred. Because I was in that position to be open. We haven't even tasted the fullness of who God is. We've only experienced maybe a drop, a drop in the ocean of his possibilities. What begins to open up the floodgates is this, the heart. The positioning of the heart, the opening of the heart, the softness of the heart. And our desire to put God in his rightful place, which means I am recentered. I come with that expectation that God will do something. That He will heal. That He will move. That His presence will be filled. And yet, that, that's only a small taste of what He can do. There are no limits to God. No Nothing that is impossible. It's going to come down to your imagination. Your level of faith of what God can do. God is doing a new thing. And before us stands the possibilities of circumstances that are out of our control. But there are also possibilities where God can do the impossible even though it's defined. When the children of Israel were fleeing Egypt, they came to the Red Sea. And as the Egyptians' armies came before them, they were circled. They had no way out. They got the Red Sea behind them, the Egyptian army coming at them in their chariots, full force. And they began to cry out, Oh my gosh, Moses, you've led us to our death. Moses is saying, what? God, you've got to do something. And God says, lift your arms over the Red Sea. In the midst of a circumstances that, that basically says it's impossible, you're going to die, God says, part the waters and walk on the dry land. We can be looking at the most financial difficult time coming before us, but God can say, I've got a way. Listen. Watch what I can do. Will you not put me in the rightful place? Will you not lift me up and say, hey, you are my God. And regardless of what I'm looking at, you are bigger. Can you do that? I believe in my heart that man has no clue. And God has the only way. But I also believe that sometimes God allows man to do what he wants to do so that he creates opportunity for God to go, bing, I'm here. He did it with Elijah on the top of Mount Carmel with 750 prophets of Baal who worshipped him and were calling down, trying to call down fire because Elijah had given him a challenge. He said, let's, let's determine who really is God. 
You call down your God to burn this altar up, and I'll call down my God. And these 750 uh, prophets of Baal, people of Baal, worship people of Baal, are running around like chickens with their head cut off. Calling down, and Elijah baits him. He's like, maybe he's asleep. Maybe you need to yell harder. They start cutting themselves and doing demonic things and all these bits and pieces, and they not hope. And Elijah quietly rebuilds the altar. And he calls and says, you know what? Go get seven jugs of water. And they pour the jugs on top of the altar. Mind you, this is in the middle of a drought. He says, go get some more. And they do this three times. They pour so much water on the altar that the wood is soaked. The ground is soaked. And then he says, you know what? God. And the altar is aflame. Why do you do that? Because the children of Israel were watching. They were listening to the stories. And all of a sudden, they were going to go, oh, God's real. God's real. But it took one man, it took one person to go, hey, I'm going to believe regardless of who's in control. I don't care if it's whoever's believing or not believing. I know my God to be true. I know my God to be true. I believe that this is an opportunity for us as a church, not just us, but people, Christians to go, you know what? God, God, God can do the impossible. God can do the imagination, what you can't even imagine. But where's your imagination? Is it off at the fairies? Or is it in the book? I apologize, I went a little bit over time. I am challenging you to imagine, to dream, to seek, to get hungry, to wonder, and to worship. Learn to worship like you have never learned before. Let off all the shackles. Let off everything that might encumber you. Let off all the chains. Let off all the fears of that person might be watching me. They'll see me on the video. If you're worried about the scene on the video, go to the sides. But God wants to do something in your life. He's looking for beacons. He's looking for lighthouses. He's looking for those who will stand up and be counted. Say, hey, I love my God. Regardless of what happens. Regardless, because I know, I know, I know, I know, I know where I'm going. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're far from Him, perhaps you don't even understand what we're talking about if you need to rededicate your life you need to get right with God then I invite you to come and talk to me at the end I'll make myself available we can talk chat don't be scared but we're going to close the meeting I'm going to pray you got morning tea and there's tea and coffee out the back Stay, chat, talk, get to know someone.
Don't be shy. Don't run off so quickly that you can't say hello. But if you want prayer, I'll be down the front. I'll do that as well. So let's pray, eh? Father, you are a, a wonder. You are a wonder. And I pray that we can worship you and that our worship is like a sweet incense to your nostrils. That we would learn how to put you in the rightful place. That we can be who you've called us to be so we can give you more glory. Father, I ask you to bless your people this week. Talk to them, speak to them, minister to them. Give them dreams and visions of you, Father. Dreams and visions of their future. Bless them, Father, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.